That sounds nice. Well, we even protect older kids from disappointment by giving every child a trophy. I'm proud of him. Real proud of him. When I was a kid, trophies had meaning. You only got one of these things if you were good at something. But these days, kids get trophies for participating. 40 years ago, the trendy idea in child raising was self-esteem. California started a self-esteem task force. Here what about the self-esteem of the kid who isn't as good? You're not as good. Sorry. That hurts. Yeah, I'm not as good. You're not as good. You're not as handsome as Brad Pitt. You're not as intelligent as that dude who can do pi to 3,000 decimal places. Sorry, there is a hierarchy of meritocracy in the world, and the best thing you can do is accept that and move on. Strike three, you're out of there! Sounds like this movie, where Billy Crystal can't believe the way his grandkids are being protected. Tom! It's okay. This is my dad, and he's new here. There are no outs in this game. No outs? How do you even know who's winning? In this league, we don't keep score. Every game ends in a tie. Studies show American kids do have high self-esteem. They rank number one in self-esteem for men, but they rank 27th in performance. American kids think they're doing so well when they're doing badly. Ooh, American kids think they're doing so well when they're doing badly. American adults think they're doing so well when they're doing badly. Christ followers think they're doing so well when they're really doing badly. Welcome to Seneca Community Church for a feel-good message. Don't really want to give this one, but it's what's on tap for today. You know, I can relate. You know, um, this is my Grand Prix car probably 48 years old the wheels are still on it paint jobs not too good i can't remember i'm guessing because the numbers this way it was supposed to go this way but i'm really not sure which is more aerodynamic but uh y you know i wish back then because i got an award i don't have a trophy for this i actually don't please don't give me trophies i i don't have any trophies no trophies oh my and I feel so bad about that. But uh, the culture today is everybody is a winner. And that's not to take away from somebody's value. I can't even say that word, meritos, or whatever he said. You heard what he said. It was very long. Thank you. Whatever that, I know what that means, but I can't say it. But uh, am I still a winner? No, anyway. So, so, you know, this idea that uh, you've got to win, you all are winners, whether that's the true, you, you're excellent in everything, good job. I, I can remember uh, one time, good thing my parents aren't here today, but uh, I remember one time I said to the girls, good job for emptying the trash or something. My dad, don't tell them good job for emptying the trash. They just should empty the trash. Okay, all right, you're right. Yeah, that should just be a deal. It's not a, you don't get a trophy for emptying the trash. That's just a part of living in our house we contribute we don't give prizes out every night for for cindy when she was cooking and all this kind of stuff so maybe we should you can tell it's done damage to me but uh you know health warning maybe folky but uh this whole idea of winning 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 is just uh built into us and as we unpack today's three verses mainly 
we're going to see that that eventually starts working into our thinking process, our philosophy of life. And even those of us who have said yes to Christ, it can have a negative impact as we look at our lives, as we look at our world. And uh, it, it's, it's a shame. And, you, and you'll see where we're going, going with this. Again, this whole idea that, uh, you, know, you know, if you had fun, you get a trophy. Uh, I like this one. This is a warning. Um, you know, give your child a trophy for not winning uh, pretty much guarantees that he will be living in your basement, applying for jobs as a superhero until he's 40. Um, anyway, there's lots of stuff like this, uh, you know, in awards that you tried. And again, good is trying. Uh, you know, if you have a message guide, I would encourage you to, to take that where it says everyone's a winner and put a line through it because that isn't true. And getting ourselves to understand that we do lack, we aren't winners all the time, and actually having still self-worth in spite of that is really a part of uh, thinking process that, that we really just don't, don't have today. I mean, you go all the way back, and you've got verses like this. Those of you who have been involved with Awana, have been involved in church for a while, uh, you know, you've got this. Uh, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And glorious glory, recognizing God's standard, recognizing that he is holy, he's perfect, and we all fall short. I like joking about this, but I never had to teach my girls how to be mean to each other. They just kind of knew it. And I think even the last week I've been sharing, just been on my mind, that uh, you'd sometimes hear uh, screaming coming from the family room, the playroom. And uh, you'd hear Sarah and Hannah screaming, they're the oldest by 18 months, twins. And uh, you go down there, and there's Mariah. It's a good thing she's not here this morning. Uh, there's Mariah with the biggest toy she can hold, going like this in the air. And they're in the corner just cowering, you, you know, because she had finally had enough. But, uh, you know, you didn't have to treat, teach them how to do those kinds of things. All of us have sinned. All of us meet or miss God's mark. And instead of writing us off, we're going to see that he doesn't do that. Uh, we see that as we remember communion, that, you know, he could have said, oh, I'm just going to wipe my hands of you. Uh, could have said, start over. Could have said, you know, I don't need this. Uh, so I'm just done with this. But he doesn't do that and because we've all fallen short. So I'd like you to turn or open your Bible app to 1 Samuel 15.1. Uh, it's page 193 in the Rack Bible. If you don't have a paper copy of the bible please feel free to take that paper copy as a gift and uh, also really like a bible the U version bible app it's free and it's just fantastic and just very helpful for getting into god's word wherever your electronic device is so uh, please take advantage of that so first samuel 15 we're just going to go 15 1 2 and 3 uh, we should have been on jonathan and the honey this this week but we're going to flip back and go to that next week I just thought that these three verses really help us when it comes to understanding and remembering the Lord's Supper. So we're kind of going out of, well, we're not kind of, we are out of order there, but that's okay. All right, chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. Why does Samuel have to be that clear, that direct? I would like to think 
that if the prophet Samuel was coming to talk with me, he would say, here's some directions from God, and I'd, I'd just be all ears. But Saul is starting to show that he isn't all ears. Uh, we're not going to get into all the details of chapter 15. That's going to be two weeks from now. But we're going to see that Saul stops following God's lead. And he's, Samuel's trying to remind him, you know, you got this job. You became king because of God. And you're, you're messing it up. Uh, and it's not messing it up if you look it through. He, he has a lot of wins. Uh, Jonathan does a lot of wins in his, in his behalf. Things like that are going pretty well, but he's messing up when it comes inside. Uh, he has the veneer on the outside, but he doesn't have the substance inside. And eventually that's going to come back and bite him. And as Christ followers today, we need to ask ourselves, do we have the veneer on the outside, which looks good? And that, that is good. That's a good thing. But when it comes to inside, the substance isn't there. Because I'm telling you, I'm not telling you like telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling myself, when it's all veneer, all window dressing, and there isn't substance on the inside, when you come up against something, everything implodes. There's no, nothing to hold it up. There's no structure. And so in those days, as we've talked over, you know, when things are going pretty good and maybe trouble's on the horizon, you don't even see it yet. That is the days to be reinforcing your relationship with God so that when something happens, you have the substance to follow through and lean into him rather than um, backtracking to your response, actually to your reaction of before you were a Christ follower. And uh, we, you, you've probably seen that happen. You've seen somebody, they get into a corner, and all of a sudden, you know, they're sweet, whoever, and all of a sudden, they're vicious, they're malicious, they're, they're angry. And you go, where did that come from? It's because they've really got the outside together, but the inside isn't together. There's a disconnect, and then there's no substance, and they revert back to uh, their, their behavior. And so, you know, trying to, to understand that and, and move ahead of that. Uh, verses uh, 2 and 3. Then this is what the Lord Almighty says. You're very uncomfortable. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came out, came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and Yikes! How can a loving God even say that? And we're going to see next uh, two weeks that uh, Saul doesn't follow through totally with what he's told to do. And we're going to like, yes, Saul, that's what you ought to do. You shouldn't take everybody out. But there's something going on. We have to realize that this isn't God telling them to conquest, conquer these people to get their stuff. It's really going to be the outplaying of justice. There's justice in this mandate. As I read, I go, wow, where is the justice? For, for three to four hundred years, the Amalekites were doing horrible, vicious, horrendous things to the people around them. 
And actually, God had been very patient with them. Even when Israel was coming out of Egypt, the idea is that the stragglers, the weak, the sick, that might have been at the end of the the train of all these people, that the Amalekites were coming up along them and picking them off. And then also there's this idea that if you knew the Amalekites were about to take you out, you were like in a village and they surrounded you, that most of the people would take their own lives rather than be tortured by the Amalekites and face a horrendous, vicious death. This is fun stuff, isn't it? But what do we do? We can't just ignore passages like this. So, so, so they, God wanted to enact justice on them. A lot of us love the little children's story of Jonah, the big fish, and all of those kinds of things. The same thing was about to happen to the Ninevites, but the Ninevites responded. But if you look at history over the years, eventually the Ninevites went back to their ways and were destroyed. There's something about justice. I was trying to think, what is similar to this? And you know, I thought about uh, even the Nuremberg uh, trials after World War II. And again, these were vicious people. Uh, they, they were, they were uh, uh, people who had been ahead of uh, concentration camps and this and that and, and just had uh, signed off on horrendous stuff. Some of them did themselves. And, and they, they were executed for their crimes. And so some of you go, wow, but this is children and women and all of that kind of thing. Some of the theologians trying to put this together say that if they were to grow up, they would repeat the sins of their parents. So in some ways, it was merciful for them to uh, not get into that. Uh, I don't know if you there's a, there's a um, king later on in history of, of the northern kingdom of Israel, and he's a bad guy, and wicked guy, Jeroboam is his name, and uh, he had a son, and uh, one of the prophets talked to Jeroboam's uh, uh, family and said, basically, you know, you guys have been so vicious and horrible that your kingdom is not going to last. You're going to actually be gone. Uh, no, no, um, no ancestor, no descendant. This is just not going to happen. And, uh, but he does say this, and he says, your sixth son, because that's why uh, the person had gone to the prophet, your sixth son is going to die. The minute you cross over the threshold into your home, into your palace, he, he's going to be gone. And the reason he's going to be gone is because he's the one good person in your family. Tim Keller talks about this idea that he took that boy home to spare him of all the horrendous stuff. We, we, don't, we just don't experience that. We just don't get uh, the viciousness. I remember I had a missionary friend uh, who had been in the Pakistan, we, we should call it, say it a little differently, but Pakistan uh, in the 50s. And when desert storms and all those things were going on in Afghanistan, he still had contact with Christ followers out in the villages. And I, I'm, just, I'm just not going to just take my word for it. I'm not going to repeat the things that uh, were done to those Christian Christ followers. Horrendous things, nursing mother, horrible things. And, and they were vicious, vicious, vicious people. So there is a moment where justice has to take place. And justice will take place. As we celebrate communion, we're going to remember that aren't we thankful? We sang about a mercy that God demonstrates to those who say yes to him. The Amalekites had plenty of opportunity. There are other groups of people that had plenty. There's another group of people that uh, Saul warned to get out of 
the Amalekite zone because when they come in, it, they're going to be on them. And they don't want to, th- those people were good people. So again, how we sort all that out, thankfully most of us haven't had those experiences so we don't relate to that, but it was horrendous. And that's why uh, God enacts this justice upon them. And uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I think it fits right now. Eventually, you remember last summer, I think it was, we were going through Esther. Remember Haman? Haman was connected to the Amalekites. Haman was a descendant of them. And so if Saul had done his job, there wouldn't have been a Haman, and there wouldn't be the story of Esther. So it's interesting how uh, we, we shy away from this, but if you, if you believe in justice, this is justice that uh, God is uh, talking about here. And so it's really hard. But then again, we come back to this place where everybody's a winner, everybody's good and all that. And that's not to be judgmental to people, but we aren't good for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It's, it was, it's so bad that Jesus died on the cross for us. That's how bad it was. And so that is just uh, unbelievable that it is so horrendous when it comes to this idea that Jesus actually gives his life and and we talk about the way he died and all that God gave his son to make atonement so that you and I who say yes to him can 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 be a part of of faith and that is just that is just so amazing yeah here's this quote from Tim Keller God was just collecting them early when he talks about the children when he talks about that idea of that king's son. So as we think about this, what are the takeaways for us? How do we unpack this? Uh, First of all, there's this idea of compromising the ways of God is revealed in disobedience. You and I compromise the ways of God, and that's revealed when we are disobedient. And again, as I already said, uh, Samuel goes to Saul and says, this is what I want you to do. And as we unpack it in two weeks, we're going to see that Saul wasn't holding back because uh, he was a nice guy and all of this. Uh, you're going to see that uh, the reason he kept the king around is kings, what they would do is when they took out another nation, they would keep the kings around as trophies. So if you knocked off a lot of kingdoms, you always kept the king around. So at parade time, you could march out the kings that you had beaten, and they would be there, and you'd be like, yeah. That's, you see that with future with Nebuchadnezzar and some of the kings that come from Judea, that they keep them around so that they can be used as trophies. You see that even in the Roman Empire when they would march people into Rome to show their victory. These were like living, talking uh, trophies. So when you and I compromise, uh, or we're, it's, it's disobedient. And, you know, you get into this whole thing, how much compromise can you have? When does disobedience and, and all of that work into it? And, and we, we have a mark that we're not supposed to miss, but we have a forgiving God. Uh, we can not be self-righteous, but we can travel in the paths of righteousness. It doesn't mean that we don't get everything right, but we move in that direction rather than in a disobedience. You're going to see that David was obviously majorly disobedient when he comes on the scene. Saul is, but David repents. Saul doesn't really repent. He's sorry for being caught, but he's not uh, repenting. He does not want to change his ways. And so we just see that that happening 
uh, all the time. I, I like to tell this story every once in a while. Uh, a young man, let's just say, uh, wanted to go to the movies, and the movie had some questionable uh, material in it, and uh, the mother was like, no, 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 you can't go to that movie. You know what's in that movie. You know what's in that movie. And the kid's like, no, it's no big deal. It's just like a little tiny little bit. So, so, and so she's just, he's just on her about going to this movie. So finally, 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 the mom says, you can go to that movie. The kid goes, yes. Some of you know where this is going. She says, I'm going to make you some brownies to take uh, to that movie. He's like, yes. She goes, well, what I'm going to do is I want you to go out in the yard you know, you haven't been clean enough after the dog. I want you to get just a little teaspoon of poop. And I'm going to mix the poop in the brownies. It's just going to be like 5% of the brownies. Just 5%. Just a small little bit. Just like your movie you're going to. Just this much. And, you're, and, and he, obviously he wouldn't do that. And he says, that's what I'm getting at when it comes to uh, this movie. So, so we really need to be serious about this. Uh, you know, Disobedience is disobedience, and it's disobedience to God Almighty, and to make a way, make us so we can have a right relationship with who gives his son, and, and that, is, that is huge. So the Amalekites were there, but, but Saul, we're going to see in two weeks how he just compromises, and, and we have to understand, we have to think about compromising, and, and we need to think about all the ways we do it. I, I started thinking about this, and it bothered me that that I have a lot of ways of being compromised. I can compromise in little ways, and, uh, and I just see it all over the place. And sometimes we can compromise and still have a clear conscience. Sometimes our clear conscience is not an indication of our innocence. It's an indication of the fact that we have been disobedient, and our sin has blinded us to the reality of what we face. So I'm okay with it, not because my spirit is okay. I'm okay with it because my spirit's gotten hard enough, God. Told you before, you know, this time of year just makes me think of the beach. We lived on a little town, Ipswich, north of Boston, and we would always go to the beach, and the sand was just nice and fine. Uh, you know, I couldn't, I, whenever I go to another beach where there were rocks, I'm like, what's up with this rocks on the beach? I just, you know, not experienced. But the parking lot had tons of rocks. And the beginning of the beaching season, you would get out of your car and you would choose not to take flip-flops, not to take, uh, you know, sneakers or whatever. And from your car to the boardwalk, it was like, ooh, 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 because you'd be feeling all those rocks and all that stuff. But by the end of the season, you have such calluses on the bottom of your feet, it wasn't that the rocks had gone away. It's that your feet were so tough that you could actually bang your feet on the rocks and really not feel them. Same thing happens to us spiritually. We can sear our conscience. And this is not to make you feel bad. This is to make you feel aware. I want to know, not all at once, Lord, I want to know the places where my conscience is seared and calloused so I don't get into trouble. You know, Paul, it's better with Jesus than apart from Jesus. Doesn't mean it's perfect, doesn't mean life gets so sweet. But, but patterns of walking with God and aligning my behavior because of his spirit speaking to my spirit, my heart, guiding me, makes things go better. So I want a sensitive 
conscience. I, I want to feel those things. Uh, some of us, you know, who lose feeling in our feet. I remember we had this friend of us who lost feeling in her feet, and she, not thinking, got on a treadmill and decided to do the treadmill barefoot. And she had diabetes, and it really messed her feet up. She didn't know what she was doing to her feet because she didn't feel the bottom of her feet. That's not a good thing. It's not like, oh, that's great. You don't feel your feet, so you can just, you know, do whatever. See, the same thing is, I'm going to say, even more true with our heart. Our conscience needs to be sensitive. And we need to figure out ways to align with God so it is sensitive. And, uh, you know, if you're saying, Dave, you talked to me this week about something going on in my life, and now you're preaching about it, th that is not, not true. These, these things I'm going to read off real quickly is, is the world we live in. It's the church we live in. It's the churches. It's society. So when it comes to peace and conscience and all of those kinds of things, it's real easy to have callous so these things don't bother us as much. God has clear instructions on marriage. Clear instructions on marriage. They're not mysteries. But how many times I've had people come in and talk to me and talk about God wants them to be happy and they want to throw their marriage away. Or they're going to make their life is going to be better spiritually if they do that. No, that's a callousness. That is not true. Um, being intimate together before you're married. Scripture is so clear on that. Is there a future outside of that? Absolutely. There's forgiveness. There, there's, there's all that goes along with that. But if you're on the front side of it, make sure you're not callous to that. Beware of it. It has rep, uh, ripple effects into your future. Lack of integrity at work. Cheating at work, putting more hours in, um, not doing a good job, all those kinds of things. S scripture is pretty clear. It's not a mystery that if you get paid to do a certain kind of job, then you ought to do that certain kind of job. And, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if in a, 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 a job market where people, when they found out you were a Christ follower, they almost wanted to hire you just like that because they would say, oh, Christ followers, they have integrity, they work hard. That's not the case. Some places go, oh, you're a Christian, go to church. No, thank you. I've been down that road before. Conscience, but we walk through and we feel okay about it. Um, generosity, no generosity. Maybe a little dollar in the jar at the you know checkout line. No strategic thinking, how do I leverage my financial resources to honor God, to worship God, to show that he has value in my life? Do I give percentage giving? Do I, do I look at my checkbook and say, oh, what's left over? That's what I'll give. What's come? I mean, you know, Scripture is pretty clear about these ideas. Uh, pretty clear about denying yourself, being sacrificial. Talking about this, we were up visiting Sarah for a little while in Little Rivers, and uh, you know, you know, just it's it's busy time. He's a good little sweet little boy, but he's still ten months old, you know, and wow, and uh, you know all of that. Uh, but uh, the whole the whole idea of you know denying yourself, you know, uh, 
I thought when we had kids, we had kids to raise them, but I certainly discovered that they raised us. I learned way more by having to deal with those three little girls than the other way around. You know the story. They're all throwing up, and it's going everywhere. You know, three in a room. You're taking the bed sheets off. You're putting them in the washing machine. The minute you get everything calmed down, it starts to erupt again. You're actually running out of bed sheets. I mean, it's a disaster. It's two in the morning. You know, your wife just kind of grazes you, and you're like, what are you bumping it? You know, it's just it's like, you know, it's like a twilight zone. Man, keeping it together is tough. All right, let's close in prayer. (laughs) Comfortable living over faithful risk living. Church engagement, forgiveness, gossip, relationships, daily spending time with God where you're really showing up. Not just checking it off. Making it easier on leaders in your life. Scripture is pretty clear about that. doesn't mean they have a blank check, but man, make it a hassle for them. Make people want to sign up to be a leader and head something up because people are cooperative, not because it's a hassle every moment of the day. And the last probably one I'll end with, be nice. All through Scripture, be nice. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. Just be nice. Clearly. Scripture, but yet we can not be nice and feel okay about it in our heart. If that is the case, that means there's calluses on a segment of my heart. So, and you've got to, you know, we've you can look at this later, but you we've been going through this over the last year. Uh, this whole idea of the option matrix, you can see different kinds of ideas how to filter that through. There's cards. Um, out at guest services, uh, there's stuff online you can think through where these things fall on this list. You do get down to some things that are preferences, but there's way more in the um, commandment conviction line than we like to think of. So because of all that, because Saul was just outward, veneer, there's all kinds of debates whether he really was a follower of God or what, and I kind of hope he was. I, I don't want to throw him under the bus. I'm, I kind of hope he was and, and all of that. Uh, but uh, he gets rejected. Uh, not rejected necessarily through eternity, but his, his rule gets rejected. And so because he rejected God. And, and there are times in life where, yes, God is gracious, but you keep rejecting, rejecting concepts and principles that are pretty clear, they're going to come back and haunt you. Just, that's just the way things, there are consequences, and there isn't some magic prayer that all of a sudden makes your consequences just disappear. They're there. They, they stay with you. So going along with this, opposing the way of God is exposed in a history of sin. And we see that with the Amalekites. I already mentioned, you know, they were all over Israel when they were leaving Egypt. The Amalekites come from the line of Esau. You remember Jacob, Esau, Jacob becomes Israel. This is uh, all of that is back there. That's where these folks are from. We talked about Esther and this guy Hammond, the one who's trying to wipe out 
all the Jews in the known world at that time and is moving that way, he was connected to the Amalekites. And so if Saul had done what he was supposed to hundreds of years earlier, this wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have Esther, the book of Esther. Um, and then we see because of, again, there is a moment, and we really don't want to talk about it, we don't want to deal with it, but there is this idea that there is judgment. And God is a God of love, he's a God of justice, and if he's a God of justice, there is judgment. And there's this idea throughout Scripture, you can't get away from it, I wish you could, but you can't get away from it, that there is this idea that annihilate, I can't even say the word now, I tried for because of an alienation, you just write God off, you just separate him, there is judgment coming. And you need to realize that. I need to understand that. Uh, doesn't mean if you've said yes to Christ, you, your actions didn't get you in. It was God's grace. Your actions won't get you out. But there is this idea that there is judgment coming. You hear people talk about when's the world going to like kind of go boosh. You know, there's all this idea. We can go back and look at uh, Noah. Noah's not a nice little bedtime story. You know, God shuts the door. There's eight people inside with all these nice animals and all the other people. You see these pictures, like, horrified me as a kid. You see kids of rains coming down. You know, people, like, banging on the door. Sorry, no more. You, you can't, you know, oh, that's just a figure. I, I don't think so. If it was just an allegory, just an idea, then this was not necessary. Hear me? This is not necessary if there is no judgment, if there is no sin, if there is no disobedience, if there's no uh, none of that. Then, then this is just a nice little story, which was nice for Jesus and the early disciples, but that's, that's all it is. And so um, let's see. I want to go down here. Um, you go... You just look at all of this, and you just see it. Even in Isaiah, you see when John the Baptist is, is wrestling with if Jesus really is the Messiah. Some of that because Jesus' first coming was, was nice. He was reconciliation, all of those kinds of things. But there's this idea when he comes again, he comes as the lion of Judah. That's not sweet. You read Revelation. All of us love Revelation. Oh, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, there's swords and there's death and there's pestilence and all this stuff. That is judgment. You, you can't, it, it, it's there. It's there. It's there. Minor prophets, it's there. Isaiah, it is there. Um, so uh, all of this is reflecting the ways of God is shown in his what to come. It's coming someday. I don't, I don't like the idea that it's coming. I've heard some pastors say, yeah, and then they're going to get what they deserve. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, buddy. I deserve that too. <laughs> don't, don't go that way. I remember in Bible college, we're going through some passages, and the other students going, yeah, then they're finally going to get what they, I'm like, what are you talking about? We're going to, you know, we just, it's because of the grace of Christ that you said yes. You're, you're, knock it off. What are you saying? But through Scripture, through these first three verses, it is foreshadowing of judgment. Not conquering, but judgment, because sin is so repulsive to God. But instead of writing us off, he gives a way that we aren't right, written off. The story of the Amalekites is a picture of the coming worldwide judgment. And if you're a Christ follower, 
might be pleasant, because of all ways that's going to all unfold, but you at least know that when the next chapter of life starts, you start with God in heaven. And there's actually a new heaven and earth. When we do communion, I'll mention, it's just not heaven. There's a new heavens and a new earth someday. And we hold on to that. Now, why do we deny judgment? Why do we deny it? Um, some of it is because we don't know the Bible. I, I mean, if you go, well, that's not really there, you, you don't know it. And then when you have a friend that brings these kind of three verses up and go, that's not a God I want to be about, you can say to them, you don't know the Bible because you're missing big portions of the Bible that say there's reconciliation, there's salvation, there's grace. Nineveh, Nineveh sees grace. They're not wiped out. There's a repentance. So, so but again, if, if you don't, if you deny judgment, and prove me wrong, get into the scriptures, read more, and, and you can't walk away. Um, also, we don't believe the Bible. You say, you know, those portions of scripture, eh, I don't think, I, you know, I'm going to go Jesus loving, I'm going to go, you know, all those kinds of things, forgiveness, I like that part of Jesus, I don't like, I like Jesus as, a, as the Lamb of God, but I don't like him as the Lion of Judah. No, 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 no. It, you can't get away from it. Uh, you don't believe the Bible. Um, also, we only believe the parts of the Bible that we're comfortable with. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. The last time you go to the doctors and he gives you, he's like, with me, it's like six things to do. Probably only you, it's like two. But let's say he says six things. I want you to do six things. Well, I really don't like that one. I really do like that one. That one, you know, and I, I can't pick and choose. It's not like a smorgasbord. I, he's saying all these need to be done. And, uh, you know, but I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like that. I, do you have to wear one? Anyone? Wear, no, you don't have to raise your hand. Do you want to know a CPAP machine? What a pain in the neck that thing is. I put too much water in it last night. And all of a sudden I'm hearing gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. And my hose is like all this water in there. I'm trying to get it out. I'm like, this is ridiculous. One time uh, somebody said to me, so how do you feel about that? Uh, do, you, do you have to use it? I said, I, I thought I didn't have an option not to use it. You know, he said, use this because it's going to keep you, uh, you know, healthier. So I, 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 like a fool, I put that thing on every single night. Look like I'm going into space or something. But anyway, the, we only believe the parts of the Bible we are comfortable with. That's why you've been hearing a lot of this growth process and this idea of follow because we want folks to know the Bible and to understand it so they can apply it to their lives so they can be walking in a path that's aligned with the way God would have us to live so we can enjoy him more. It's not about just checking things off a list. I'll just give you this blank and then some of you go, I'm nuts, you don't want a blank. The God who commanded the annihilation of Amalekites is the God who has determined that a day, like Noah, is coming when the wicked will be destroyed with fire instead of water. Read it. It's in there. Don't really like that story, but it's in there. And then if you say, well, I'm not going to go with that, I'm going to go with this, then what if the one you're going with is maybe, you know, you've you got to either be in or out. I, I don't know how you're going to pick which things you want to uh, follow. Uh, Romans 2, 4 through 5, out of the message paraphrase, or do you think that because he's such a nice God, he'll let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. 
in kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. You're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot and high God's fiery and righteous judgment. Think on that. Let that keep you up a little bit. Again, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. The way that happens, you don't earn your way, so you don't unearn your way. But this idea that judgment is all through the scriptures. It's all there. So the bottom line is this. Unless you point to the good news of God's grace, people will not be able to bear the bad news of God's judgment. Thank you, Timothy Keller. He passed away about a week or so ago. This is a quote from him. Unless you point to the good news of God's grace, people will not be able to bear the bad news of God's judgment. So as Christ followers, do you point to God's grace? You can kind of accept judgment when you know that there is a way out and Christ has provided that. Thinking about this a little bit more and I was thinking about the little story I remember as a kid and I think this is actually the book cover that uh, I, I came across that I, the story was in when I was a kid. There's all different versions and some of us know this story. The Emperor's New Clothes. You know this story? You don't know this story? I see some heads. You know, you gotta read this story. You can find it online without buying it but the whole idea is that the Emperor's getting a new set of clothes that he's paying a lot for and there is no clothes. There are no clothes. And all his people around him go, oh, that looks nice. Oh, that looks nice. He's like going on a parade, and he's like buck naked. And all the people are like, yeah, what an outfit. And then one little kid says, he's got no clothes on. And everyone goes, <gasps> some of us are looking at life like we're all winners. There's no need for grace. There's no need for forgiveness. There's no judgment coming, and we're wearing the emperor's clothes. Shorter way to look at this, be good news people in a bad news world. And that's not saying everybody's winners. It's saying there is God's grace. They're saying this thing, the good news that can change your life and set you up for eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this has been a heavy sermon. This has been a sermon I really didn't want to give. I like nicer sermons. But I would be practicing spiritual malpractice not to include this as we're going through 1 Samuel. Father, I ask that you would apply it specifically to each one of us. Help us to see where our hearts are hard. Help us to see and hear from you if we've never said yes to you. We've never invited you into our lives to lead us and direct us. We've asked for forgiveness for our sins. It doesn't make us perfect, but we move in a different direction. Help us to see that. And for those of us who have said yes to you, help us to wrestle with those areas that we're just not buying into because it means we need to live differently. We need to you know, respond differently to the world around us and the world that we're living in in our small little worlds that we've got out there lord help us not to be like the emperor with the new clothes help us to be like that little boy who sees what's really going on 
we are all good. In Jesus' name we pray.